All right, we are here. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Ken, founder of Vermillion Sky, and this is Sam, who is a founder, investor, startup strategist, and VC. Hi, Sam. Hi. Hey, Ken. How's it going? Hi, everybody. <laughs> I am, well, I'm doing pretty good, and I hope that you're doing pretty well. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All things considered. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's definitely good to hear. So I want to let you do like a quick intro of who you are. Um, you know, I know that you're an amazing VC, pretty much helping everyone that, that, that either raising or, or um, you know, getting into the, the minds of founders and helping them kind of expand their reach and, you know, expand their uh, uh, bank accounts. <laughs> so, yeah, intro for you. Sure, sure. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Sam. I'm originally from New York City. Uh, studied finance and accounting, and um, my financial background is mainly in finance. I worked on Wall Street for a couple of years, burnt out, um, and luckily found my way into the investing space. Uh, so I spent a couple of years at a fund in New York called the Partnership Fund for New York City. Uh, we were based in Manhattan and focused on making investments in really awesome, impactful startups in the five boroughs. Uh, while I was there, I kind of decided to go abroad for, it's a long story, but, but basically I ended up moving to Chile in, in uh, South America where I got the opportunity to work for an awesome accelerator that was helping startups in the region who were creating some sort of an impact. So uh, in Latin America, there's not a lot of kind of educational resources around how startups can, can fundraise, can, you know, basically talk to investors. Um, it's a very kind of bootstrappy culture, which, which is great. So one thing I really wanted was to be able to take kind of what I've learned from my experience in New York and, and from a U.S. investor perspective and kind of disseminate that, that information to them. So I spent 2018, I worked with about 10 different startups, helping them with pitch decks, building financial models, and just generally how to talk to, on, how to, talk to investors, how to approach investors, what's the diligence process like, what do you need to have to prepare to have to be successful in a diligence process? And eventually I actually found my way over back to the investor side. I moved to Guatemala early 2019 to work at a fund called Pomona Impact, uh, which is an impact investing fund focused on Central America. Uh, so I was there up until this year, but you know, COVID had other things in store. Yeah. Uh, so I actually had to leave that fund and now I'm working at a fund in Mexico City it's a family office and we make investments in social um, and environmental impact companies uh, in Latin America with a focus on Mexico. So that's kind of like my, my day job. But additionally, I also founded who is raising.vc about three years ago, uh, along with the, with Charlie O'Donnell and Brooklyn bridge ventures. Um, it started off simply as a deal sourcing newsletter uh, where I would feature about five to 10 startups every month to a subscriber list of about 400 or so VCs um, in New York. Uh, in the last three years, that subscriber list has doubled. Um, we have about 750 or so uh, subscribers and we're still doing the newsletter. Every month or every other month, we'll feature anywhere from you know, seven to 12 startups that are raising capital. And it's simple. The idea is just, you know, there's so many demo days and so many accelerators and so many kind of like showcases out there that a lot of these VCs 
in New York and anywhere really just don't have the time to attend all of them. So they're missing a lot of great startups they might not have otherwise, that they might ha not have known about because they didn't attend the demo day um, because you know, you're only one person. So the idea is to help these uh, companies who have graduated from my partner, partner groups um, get in front of investors. So it's a very simple newsletter. It talks about you know three sentences in the, on the company, how much they're raising, a link to their pitch deck, how, and you know the investor can reach out to me and say, hey, I'd love an introduction. Uh, so I featured maybe about 200 or so startups over the last three years. We've made probably at least 100 or so investor connections and a couple of investments have come out of it. Um, and additionally from that, just on the side, I do a little bit of consulting. So I work full time, but I really love helping entrepreneurs, especially uh, women and founders of color. Um, so sometimes I'll do some ad hoc projects on the side, helping with pitch decks, fundraising strategies, uh, um, CEO coaching, anything like that. Um, and yeah, I'm really happy to be here and thanks for having me. Oh, definitely. It's excellent having you here. I mean, uh, as everybody can see, I mean, you're, you're one of a globetrotter, a startup extraordinaire and also a VC. And I know that our audience definitely have a lot of questions for VCs. But before we get into that, I'd actually like to, sorry, VC venture capitalists for anybody that does not know. Um, but I would like to get into why you decided to kind of leave the big fintech, well, financial organizations and jump into startups. Good question. Kind of, and this is, uh, this is, this is a story that you'll probably hear from a lot of people who are in who are in VC. It's kind of like a very I don't know if anybody maybe maybe people are, but I don't know if anybody's like, oh like I want to be a VC when I grew up. Because at least for people like me, like I'm Latina, you know, I grew up in New York and like mm -hmm. I didn't know what the heck VC was. Like I didn't even know that yeah. was an industry, right? Yeah. And I studied finance. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I studied finance and like in college, you know, I, I loved finance. So it was like the sexy thing to do was like, oh, investment banking or consulting. And then eventually private equity. Like those were like the three industries that are like sold to you as like what's sexy to go into if you're in finance. Um, so naturally I went into investment banking because I wanted to, you know, get that dream job for every finance graduate. But you know, I was in banking working 70, 80 hours a week. And I just felt like the work that I was doing was just pointless. You know, like I was working crazy hours, spreadsheets, like on my Bloomberg. And I was like, I was making a lot of money, like to be fair, but yeah, just, always good. I didn't feel fulfilled. And I always kind of loved the idea of like small business, like even like on the side, like I love the idea of like small businesses. And I always had like an admiration for entrepreneurs, like, cause I'm super, risk averse, <laughs> like I'm as risk averse as they come. So I guess maybe like secretly, I was always kind of jealous, like, oh, this person could just like come up with an idea and like quit it all and just like, go yeah, just it. And, yeah, I was like, I couldn't do that because I'm a scaredy cat. Like, I always kind of respected people who could. Um, so I always kind of like loved the idea of like being able to help businesses with like finance or like any little thing that could kind of help them along with their dream. But I'd never really thought that I could like I never really knew how I could do this in like a full-time way. Um, so I remember I was having lunch with a mentor of mine um, when I was at Goldman and I was telling her this, like, you know, like, like this job is cool, but like, I don't feel like I'm making a difference. Like yada, 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 typical millennial complaint, you know? Um, and I know she, was like, <laughs> she was like listening to me. She's like, oh, okay. And then a week later, 
she sent me this job description and she was like, Hey, like I came across this job description. Like it looks like something you would like. And it was like, come work at the partnership fund for New York city. You know, we're an investment fund. We're helping New York city based startups, like get investment. Like we're all about New York. We're all about the five boroughs. Like we want to help companies who are creating jobs here. Yada, yada. And I was like, Oh, like I'm from New York. I love New York. I want to work with an organization who's trying to help the city. That's kind of how I approached it. I wasn't like trying to get into VC. I was like, oh, like, and they want somebody with like banking, like that's me. Um, so I interviewed, applied, and ended up getting the job and then found myself at a fund without realizing that like what had happened. And I was like, wow, this is really freaking cool. Like I'm using my finance skills, but I'm working with entrepreneurs, like helping them get funding so that they could build this company that's gonna ultimately hire a whole bunch of New Yorkers or like, you know, help XYZ in the city. So that was kind of like how I got into it. And I think I was telling you, Ken, earlier, part yeah. of the reason why I took that job too was because they were like, oh, like this is a great launch pad job if you wanna to go to business school. Like we'll give you time to take your GMAT, we'll write you your recommendation. You can get into one of the top 10 schools. So that was also selfishly like, oh, like cool. So I can do this for two years and like go to Harvard, right? I actually didn't know that that was the thing, even if that was an offer. That's actually pretty interesting, but I can see You don't automatically yeah. get into the get into the, the school that you want, but they set you up for, for success. A lot of private equity and VC funds do this. Um, so it's, it's called two-year pre-MBA program. So I literally was taking my GMAT. I was studying for my GMAT. And then I was like, wow, I actually really like this job and this work. Like, what if I can just not go to B school and just try to stay in this industry because it's it's cool um that's kind of that's kind of how it happened and i've just been in the industry ever since just kind of growing and and meeting people and it's it's fascinating so you are now in so in the, in the current timeline you're now in new york you're helping businesses get investments and i'm investing into other companies and kind of helping you were helping smaller businesses there too when i was at the fund yes um no we were we were a we would invest in companies that already had kind of their business model validation, already had sales, um, and were already kind of working. But maybe they had like five or six employees. They were at that stage where they needed like growth capital to get to the next stage. So we would do like convertible notes, uh, Series A, Seed. We would invest like we would invest like at least five hundred thousand dollars into a company. So they would have to be at that point where they were you know able to take that much capital. Yeah. Um, I would, but like a lot of them were not didn't have a lot of um experience fundraising so they would send me their materials and the materials kind of wouldn't be great so i as an associate would just work with the company like hey like send me your financial model like all right this is this is crappy we need to work on this before i show it to my boss and they'd be like okay and then that would be like my job like getting their materials ready enough to like present to my boss so that we could potentially make the investment nice so how did you find yourself from being in New York, helping these companies, and now going to South America? Yes, good question. <laughs> um, kind of like on a personal level, I was always fascinated by traveling. Um, I didn't, I traveled as a kid with my family, like we would take family vacations, but I had never really gone internationally. Um, and I remember when I was in college, I studied abroad in Australia. I was always obsessed with the idea of Australia, probably because it was so far away and just like, I used to watch those Mary Kate and Ashley movies that like would be in Australia, so it was like a plus. Um, so anyway, I went to Australia when I was in college, and I just never. I always just like was like, wow, I need to. I want to go live somewhere else again. But I was also trying to get to Wall Street, so it was like a 
conflicting goals in my own brain. Um, So once I was, you know, at that fund, I was like, all right, like before I turn 30, just for myself, I want to live abroad for one year in another country. And then, and then I'll come back and keep doing this, whatever I'm doing. So I was looking and the fund I was at, like I said, was two years. Right. So I had a final date. Um, so I was like, okay, maybe the perfect time would be to go do this one year sabbatical or whatever after this, this job. Um, so I was looking into like teaching English abroad and like all of these like random, it's really hard to find a job abroad. Like it's easy. I mean, I would think that if you're in, you know, in your, in your industry. So I didn't even think like, like, yeah, like I didn't even think like, oh, let me find like a VC job abroad. I didn't even think it was possible. So I was just like looking at all these random opportunities, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't. Like I found some cool opportunities, but I was like, I just can't stomach the idea of like leaving this awesome like industry that I found myself in. Um, long story short, and a lot of research, I ended up finding a DC-based company who actually would send people abroad to work with startups. So it was like, oh, I was like, oh, this is this is lit. Like this is exactly what I'm looking for. Um, so. I actually interviewed with them in 2016, got rejected because I didn't have enough experience, kept in touch with them, and then interviewed the following year because they had like 300 applicants for like eight spots to do this like fellowship program. So back to the first year, uh, the next year I ended up getting in and my placement was in Chile. Uh, So I ended up going to Chile for a year with the intention of just doing the fellowship and then coming back to New York and getting back into whatever I was doing. But I that never happens. No, I was I was like, oh my god! Like the set, day two of me living there, I was like, I, I don't know if I can go back to New York at least in the next ten years. It was just incredible and just like, I mean, yeah, it's the the difference between like living in New York and because I've also lived in New York all my life, and every time I go somewhere, it could be like Boise, Idaho. I'm just like, oh my gosh, there's cows here. There's yeah, it's and not for nothing, I was like, hey, like. New York, my profile at the time was like a dime a dozen. There was like hundreds of people with my exact same background, right? And I speak Spanish, my, my family's, we're Latino. So I was like, hey, like I could actually move the needle down there. Like how many New Yorkers who worked on Wall Street who were in BC are like walking around like chilly? Like not a lot, right? So I was like, I could probably make a bigger difference in entrepreneurs' lives down there than I would right now in New York. Cause there's so many of me here, like, you know what I mean? So yeah. that was kind of why, that was kind of how I got there and just kind of kept networking and just never came. Well, I'm back now because COVID and I'm at my parents' house right now, but <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. I remember at the beginning of the year, everyone was like, oh my gosh, my plans for 2020, it's gonna be this, it's gonna be unthinkable. <laughs> and everybody was right, it is unthinkable. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, okay, so now you're here, but so in again, this time, timeline, um, you're here and you started working with another fund. Correct. So I was living in Guatemala, working for a Guatemalan-based fund. Um, we were actually fundraising, but fundraising, fundraising for startups, as, as everybody listening knows, is freaking hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Fundraising for a fund is also freaking hard. <laughs> um, so the fund that I was at in Guatemala, understandably so, was just going through a lot this year. Um, mm-hmm. So I just figured, you know, it, it would just be like, it's just not the time right now for, for that 
specific opportunity. Uh, great relationship with the partners there, like loved the team, we were super lean. Uh, so me and the other junior person, we both left to kind of give the partners some space to keep trying to fundraise without having to support two staff members. Um, so I ended up finding an opportunity at a family office in Mexico, which is currently active investors and just, I love Latin America. So obviously I wanted to stay down there. Um, I basically started a new job two months ago, but like remotely, never, never met my team in person. We talk every day over on, online and I'll be, I'll be moving to Mexico um, eventually, probably in the, in the next few months, but who the heck knows what's going to happen. So I'm not yeah. saying anything with certainty until now I'm a remote worker with my team. In Mexico. Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, that's, that seems to be the story for a lot of people. Just like, yeah, I have, I, there's 20 people on my team, but I've never seen them or had coffee with them in person. It's a weird time. Um, it's a weird time. It is, but it's, I think it's kind of cool because now uh, it's kind of pushing everybody to be remote only. And there are a lot of people who are thinking like remote is going to be like the future. So I hybrid, hope, but... I, selfishly, I hope so. Like over these last three years, my goal has been like, I want to be a hundred percent remote eventually. Like even with the job that I just signed on, I was like, can we work out something in my contract that says I'm, I can have like remote capabilities? And they're like, honestly, if it wasn't for this year, we would have never allowed that. And I was, but like now, like we, we will. And I'm like, sweet. Cause I want to live yeah. in one day, but work over here. So like, anyway, those are future plans. But my point is that like, I don't want to be tied down to one place because of my job. So for me, this is pretty. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the plan. Just have a laptop and an Airbnb and a plane ticket and just, you know, live life. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. So I do want to talk about who's raising VC, but I also want to see, I, I want to kind of probe you. Like, let's say if I'm a new startup owner, right. And I want to impress you. What do I have to do to get you to say, Oh, well, this is a, this is a good startup. That's, a great question. Um, one of the things, one of the, the biggest things and probably a huge pet peeve of a lot of investors is like, know your audience, right? So if I have a, you know, headphone company and you're an investor, but you only invest in pharmaceuticals, like there's no reason for me to be pitching to you, right? I can't tell you how many times like me and other people in the industry, we get emails and we get solicitations and we get pitch decks of companies that just don't even fit into like what we're investing in. So if you're ever, and, and another thing too, is you first impressions, unfortunately really matter. Like they really matter. Sometimes you might just have one shot to impress a, a potential VC or, or, or investor. So you have to use that, that one opportunity wisely. Right? So for example, for, for example, like right now, like let's say somebody's watching this podcast and they want to reach out to me because they think I might be interested in investing in their business, right? Step one, and, and I don't mean to sound like condescending or anything, but I'm simply saying this because this is a thing that happens a lot, right? Go on LinkedIn, look me up, see where I work. You know, my, my fund is called PSM. Go into the, that website, look at what, what do we invest in, all right? We invest in social impact startups in Latin America with a focus on Mexico. If you do not fit that bill, I'm like, if you ask me like, hey, like, can you look at a pitch deck to invest? I'm no, the answer is no, right? So know your audience. I, it doesn't mean like, don't reach out to me like if I don't fit the bill, but like then reach out to me with like a specific thing. Like, hey, I know you don't invest in my company, but like, I would love your feedback 
on my one pager or I would love your feedback on this. Then I'd be like, great, like absolutely happy to help. But I know that you like investors know when you didn't do your research and they don't, nobody wants their time wasted and nobody wants to waste the other person's time and vice versa. Got it. That would be one, know your audience. And it's also, it's also great. Like, let's say I do invest in the industry that you're talking about, like do a little bit of digging, be like, Hey, like I saw that you guys invested in XYZ industry. You know, you guys recently invested in, you know, ABC company, like how great, like, I'd love to see if maybe you guys would be interested in like looking at my company. That's it. That's, so, that's it. Just, just like, that's it, like, so like we, we like, like people like when you, because look, we're not dumb. Like we know that, that it's hard. Fundraising is really freaking hard. Right. We, we get that. We fully are, are ready and willing to receive cold calls and emails if it makes sense. Right. Yeah. So it's like, just do your, just do your homework, do your research. And like, yeah, you're going to be knocking on a, on a lot of doors, but like knock on doors that make, that make sense at the time. So understand who you're, what your, know your audience, what your potential. Yeah. So you, you will probably have your audience being, you know, a set of investors who kind of sort of invest in what you want to do. And you could say, Hey, I've seen that you've invested in this, this, and this, and my mm -hmm. industry is this. And I feel like this would be great for your portfolio. Sure. Or like, I'd love to, ha I'd love to have a, a chat with you for 15 minutes to see, or like, and give them a choice. Like, Hey, I'd love to send you my pitch deck if you're interested, or like, maybe we can have a chat. And like, if it's not something that's in your, you know, that you're interested in, like, I, I would love like your feedback. So would you accept a pitch deck in said email or uh, even in the, the LinkedIn request, or would you want to wait to actually accept the that's a good question. And everybody is like, everybody's different. Like I like, sure, send it to me. That's fine. But like, I think maybe just rule of thumb, um, mm -hmm. maybe send your website, just like a link to your website. Like if you go in with like a full blown pitch deck, it's just like, ah, you know, somebody, maybe somebody doesn't want to open it, but like just send your website. Like I'm the founder of XYZ company. We do blah, blah, blah. Like, I'd love to talk to you. Um, if you're interested in knowing more, I can send over information. Um, or if not, just like great to connect and, you know, hope we can stay in touch and talk in the future. And another thing too, it's like, if you're fundraise, if you know that you want to fundraise uh, mm -hmm. in 2023 or like in 2022, for example, start networking six months before you're actually going to start fundraising and start fundraising like six to 12 months before you actually need the money. Right. So it's better to like be pitching from a, I don't want to say a place of need or like a place of lack. Like if, for example, if I have a startup and like my money's running out and like I need to pay my employees, like, and I, when I'm pitching to you, I'm going to come from a, a place of like, not desperation, but it's, it's going to, you know, it's going to come off differently versus if I'm like, okay, I have enough runway for the next six to 12 months. Um, I'm good. I'm not stressed out about cash flow because, you know, we're always stressed about cash flow. Everybody, yeah. you know, it's, it's <laughs> fundraise before. Right? So it's like, OK, I'm probably going to need to need more money in six, 12 months. Let me start making connections now. Yeah, I definitely hear a lot of uh, founders. The the rule of thumb is you, you should fundraise when you don't need it. So when you do need it, it's not an issue. Um, and yeah, that's that's and it's that's kind awesome. of a catch too, right? Because like it is yeah. another day, but like. It's just it's just a function of like planning way ahead, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. So what would a founder? Need? So you said you definitely mentioned having like a website. Um, 
what let's let's say you know I don't I don't have a website, but I just have you know I'm just coming off my like family and friends pre-seed round. Like I might have just a pitch deck and maybe like the sem- like maybe like wireframes or the designs of a product. What would I mean? Is that enough, or would I need more? Do I need other things to at least get pique your interest? That depends. That depends on the investor, you know, because like if you're if the company that you're describing, if if that's like the the current status of the company, mm-hmm. you as a as a founder are only really going to be able to approach probably like angels, right? Because an institution most institutional VC funds who are your you know your big funds that, that you, you you know those names, mm-hmm. they're not going to be interested in investing in a company that doesn't at least have like traction mm-hmm. proof of concept already so if you're at the stage where you're just building your thing mm-hmm. um and you if you've raised a family and friends round you need to get to the you need to use that money wisely you know depending on maybe you raise 100 to 500 thousand or, or whatever it might be use that money wisely to get your product or your service to the point where you have traction you have users and you have you have a clear you know business model validation where maybe like a seed stage fund can can feel justified in looking at you. So in terms of what you should have, it depends. Like you were mentioning like wireframes. At that point, if you're gonna approach a seed fund, you should already have you should have used that family and friends money to create the product already and already have traction and already have customers and users and 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 data and, and all all of that that stuff. Um but if you're still at the point where you have like just wireframes, um, and but if you do, let's say, I, I mean, look, not everybody has access to family and friends money. Like I, oh, oh, oh you're back, you're back, cool. <laughs> so we we just got um, you started answering, and it was really important, and then it just cut out. So everyone's just like, oh, what did you say? Could okay, you, where, what did you last hear? Yeah. I'm just start from family and friends. Okay, so yeah. um, let's talk about the family and friends thing for a minute, and like. Yeah. I don't want to get too existential or like anything, but like the fact of the matter is not everybody can raise a family and friends round. Like, I'm sorry. Like I don't have a bunch of family and friends who could just throw me money and I can raise 500 grand. It's like not a thing that everybody has. Right. So I, I understand that. I understand that. And it's kind of like an, unfor- it's, it's, it's a, it's an issue with the industry. It's an issue in tech. It's an issue in this country. It's a, we're not going to get into it. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. Right. I, yeah. I recognize that. Um, so let's assume, let's, let me answer this question from, from a perspective that the person doesn't have family and friends to give them money. <laughs> um, but you have this great idea, you have a you know wonderful product. There's a lot of angel investors out there who would be the perfect person to invest in something that, that doesn't actually have legs yet, right? So and what, what do I mean by that? That doesn't actually have customers, that doesn't actually have users, right? Yeah. So you have to basically just paint the story that this thing that you're building is has a lot of potential. So you should definitely have a pitch deck. You should definitely have a landing page. Uh, if you haven't actually built the app yet, definitely have some great wireframes and a really good understanding of what it's going to look like. Um, yeah, so it's maybe you don't have to have like a working website, but you should have a landing page. And I, and I don't think it matters so much as like, what are the things that you have? Like, what are these like materials that you have? More so in like how you can tell the story and like, convince the other person that like that you're going that you're fully invested in this thing and you have a clear path to traction 
Nice. If you don't already have traction. Yeah, that makes sense. And you understand yeah. your competitors. You and and a lot of times, here's another another thing. Sorry if I'm rambling. Like no, no, no it's fine. I mean, I it, I I think I know where you're going with this, but you're you're definitely touching on the most important points. Um, I mean, having something, yes, you can't just have like a notes on a notepad and say, hey, look, invest in me. You do need something that would paint the story of this will be successful if you invest in me. But yes, competitors. And another thing too is that like, and this is v VCs and investors for better, for worse. And maybe this isn't really known, but like we're really judging the founder. Like, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that like part of our due diligence, 25% of it is like, what do we think of this person? You know what I mean? Is this person somebody who is willing to accept help, who is willing to pivot if necessary, who is willing to be coached, who is willing to receive feedback in a positive way? And is this a person who's not married to like their specific idea and it has to be this way? And, and if, if it's not this way, it's never gonna be a thing. You know, we investors want to invest in somebody who's coachable and who is actually gonna appreciate kind of the advice that we're giving because what we are investors, we obviously want you to win because we want our money. Like, you know what I mean? I did, I did it <laughs> so it's like, yeah. how coachable are you, right? Like how, how's your, like your level, like your, your emotional intelligence, like these things are all really important. So one thing that we find is that a lot of founders are, they, they have this wonderful idea that they came up with when they were like seven, when they were like sleeping in their room, right? And then they're like married to this one specific, a lot of times, not always, but like yeah. they're married to this specific idea and they get really invested in it and obviously building the specific product. But sometimes like that thing that they're building isn't actually like really needed. It's not like there's not a market for it. I hate to say it, but like you're building this wonderful thing, but like nobody actually, like people don't need it. You think they need yeah. it because you think it's great, but like it might not be what the market needs, right? Yeah, so, it might not solve a problem. There, there exactly. might not be a pain or there might already be a, a, exactly. a product or service that's way cheaper than what you're going to offer to the market. Totally. So if I'm if I'm an angel investor, let's say, and like and I and you can't show me like clear traction and, and clear customers, then I have to feel like this thing that you're solving, there's not really many people solving it or like, oh, oh wow, like I never even thought of that. Like yes, would be such an amazing idea. You know what I mean? And and when I see that, it's I was talking to a woman yesterday, really mm -hmm. woman and she's actually creating a tool to help women, uh, mainly women, because look, like fundraising is really hard and financial modeling and projections are also really hard. If a founder walks into the room with an investor, you have to know your numbers like the back of your hand. You have to understand your projections. You have to understand you know, your acquisition costs. You have to understand your, your variable costs. You have to understand everything and how all of those different numbers are, are triggered by different levers, how they're affected, because I'm gonna be asking you these questions. A lot of times founders don't have that understanding of their numbers because either maybe they're, you know, they're really big on tech, like they have a, a million other skills and maybe yeah. finance just isn't their strong suit. So she's creating a tool to basically like level up women and, and other folks who haven't had that sort of training and creating this, this this method for them to be able to become experts in their numbers without having to like be a financial wizard. For oh, me, really? I'm like, wow, like this is awesome. And I know this is awesome because I've had people walk into walk into my office where like they don't know anything about their numbers. And I'm like, like 
you have such a great idea, but like, I can't, I can't invest in this because I don't even know if you know where you're going numbers wise. So for me, the thing that she's building, clear pain point. She doesn't have it. She doesn't have the product yet. But like, I'm already like, if I had money, I would be putting money in it. Like, even <laughs> though she has not, she doesn't have the, the actual product yet. That's what I mean. So okay, I see. So you you definitely want to just yeah, you definitely want to touch on something that's marketable, or you want to be able to show traction, and you have to have a solid understanding of your numbers and how you and convince is. me that you're solving a pain point and okay. know who your know who your who your competition is and know why you're better than them yeah let's go into competition what would one need to know so basically if, if you I know it's fake but <laughs> if, if, no I, if you come to me and you say i have this great idea i want to build like yada yada the yeah. worst thing that could happen is i'm like so it's kind of like this other such app for this other company. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. And it's like, if you're creating something, yeah. you should be doing extensive research on other companies who have done this and who are your competitors. And don't be scared. Just because there's somebody else who's also doing the same way that you're doing, that's not a reason to not do it. Competition is yeah. good. It means that yeah. this, this, this is a problem that exists. So what you need to do is become an expert on your competition. What are they doing wrong? What are their holes? What are, what are their users and customers complaining about on their platform? And make yours better. And make yours the one that's that people are gonna are gonna choose over, over that one. And make it sticky. How are you gonna make it sticky so that if I'm your customer, like I'm not gonna want to leave ever? Yeah, I'm. I'm one of the some of the things that uh, we actually do is we do like a an analysis of the competition and like we're like all right here are all these weaknesses in the entire market and your product could just be fixing all these weaknesses and people leave people just go go to the product it, it could literally be like i don't like the way that the menu is laid out right i'm just just a throwaway thing and yeah. people will say oh I, I like this layout i'm gonna stay Mm -hmm. variable similar products but just a i mean that's not a big pain point but and, and I, honestly i wouldn't expect expect anybody to invest in that but just finding weaknesses kind of converting those weaknesses into like a, a product mm -hmm. that's that's always super powerful yeah or like there's been situations where like somebody is a user of a product and they're like i really like what this product does for me but like oh i hate the way that it works or whatever like Okay, cool. So make something better. Like that could be another idea, idea too. Just because it exists in some frame, it's it's all about like this is another thing too. It's I'm sure you've heard this. It's it's all about execution. Yeah, ideas are a dime a dozen. I've had many ideas. Like like literally the whole idea of Airbnb. Maybe I thought about that when I was ten. I was like, oh, we should do whatever. Like you know what I mean? Like that's great. Like everybody has ideas, but like it's all about the execution. That's why one thing one thing that like this is like kind of like a little bit of a pet peeve. But like when people are like, oh. I have this wonderful idea, but I'm not going to tell you about it because you're going to steal my idea. I'm like, first of all, don't flatter yourself. You know, like, what <laughs> do you think that like I'm going to dedicate my idea, my life to like stealing your idea, and like because your idea was oh, so yeah. wonderful, I'm going to like go build it. No, like, don't be afraid to talk to people about your ideas because you don't like that person that you're talking to might make you think about something, or they might be the perfect customer for your idea, and they might you know send you an another path that could actually make it better, right? So it's not about having the idea. That's not what makes you special at all. It's the unique execution 
of that idea and actually building it and making it a thing that people want versus just simply having the idea. Oh, I love that. That's completely true because uh, I, you know, you know, in, in my industry, I hear, hey, I have this cool idea, but I'm in stealth mode. And I'm just like, uh, nobody's going to steal it because it costs a lot of money to build anything. And people have day jobs. They're not going to just quit their day job off of the promise of an idea unless it's, you know, super cool. But I always let people know. like Stealth mode is good if you're if you're building something that has like crazy, like valuable, like IP. They need patents, oh. like all this stuff. Like that's when small stealth mode is good. But you can still like talk about what you're building. Like, hey, like we're building a platform to like do blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. if, if you have all these patents and all this stuff, then like feel free to talk about it because that means that that's a really hard thing to crack. Yep. So it's like, and, and to your point, getting, getting patents and doing all that stuff is expensive and it takes a lot of time. But um, yeah, so. Yes, so let's figure out who is raising. <laughs> Sorry, uh, okay. dad joke. I, I love um, <laughs> um, So how do you, so you said that you have a list of investors um, and essentially it started off as a newsletter, but tell me more about who is raising. Sure. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, you know, when I was at the Partnership Fund for New York City, um, this is just a little bit, a little bit of a like industry insight, like as a junior VC or as a junior investor, we're kind of the ones who are like out there, like looking for startups, doing research on them, like attending events, going to demo days, going to incub like going to like, you know, showcases. Oh, here's another, another tip. Um, mm -hmm. if you're at the point where you're raising like a seed round or like a series A from like an institutional VC, they usually have junior VCs, so analysts or associates. Um, a lot of time, like, don't underestimate the decision-making power of an analyst or associate. A lot of times investors, I mean, startups would be like, oh, like they'll email and be like, oh, I wanna talk to the partner. Or like, I wanna connect with like the the VP. And they'll they'll kind of like throw aside the analyst or the associate yeah. because they think like whatever. But like, that's like the gateway, right? Because many times like these partners, they're not going to read your pitch. They're going to be like, oh, like so-and-so analysts, go through this pitch, interview this company, and give me your opinion. And if you think that they're good, then I'll talk to them. So if I'm an analyst or an associate and a startup is like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to your boss. I'm going to be like, Psh. you know what I mean? Like, bye, sort of. So it's like, don't underestimate the like decision-making power of analysts. You want to make the analyst or the associate like your friend because they're the ones who are doing the work to create the investment memo to sell your startup idea to the board. So you want them to be your friend because you want them to be on your side and you need them to vouch for you. So that's that's one thing. Um, so anyway, one of the biggest yes. like things that you can do as a junior VC to your boss or to the partners is be a great like source of pipeline. So if you're bringing them really cool deals and really cool startups, like that's what makes you like stand out as like as like an associate. So while I was at the fund in New York, I was like, oh, I, I would love to kind of be that like go to junior person who like has access to like really cool deals. So that's kind of how I started. Who was raising, um, and you know, with the with the amazing help of, of Charlie from Book of Ventures, who basically kind of like helped help put the whole thing together, and he was the one who had all the contacts that we started with. Um, but basically all it is, it's just simply, you know, if you, 
I have a list of partners. So I have like Techstars, NYU, a whole bunch of different accelerators. Um, you know, Ken is one of our partners. So the idea is that these organizations have worked with startups. They work with startups, they train startups, they accelerate startups, they, they, you know, they're working with you guys. So there are our, our boots on the ground because they're working with, with these startups directly. So I'm kind of like the middleman between these partners and my contacts and in, in the in the in the VC world. So, as you guys know, there's always a demo day happening. There's always events and like partners at these funds literally just don't have the time to go to like ten demo days a week. They don't and they're not going to right. Yeah. So they're probably like you're you could have a great startup and you could present at a demo day, but like that's only as successful as who is in the audience. If there's no VCs in the audience, there might be like 100 VCs, but there might only be two who actually invest in your industry. So it doesn't make you not a good company if nobody contacts you. But like maybe most of the people are like, oh, like great company, but like we don't even look at them. Right. So basically the idea is that like these partners will send me these startups. I put together a newsletter, five to ten companies, blurb of the company, pitch deck, how much they're raising blast that out and I send it to my investors and they can at their leisure, you know, on Sunday when they're reading news, like, go through my newsletter and be like, oh, like these three companies fit the bill. Like I would love to learn more. They email me, hey Sam, can you introduce me to XYZ founder? I say sure. I make that connection and then hopefully they invest. That's that's the idea. So that's it. It's really like who is raising is just about, you know, like breaking down the like breaking down the barriers between founders and VCs at these institutional VCs who just have so many, some VCs, they get 3000 pitches a year. I'm not even making this up. They see so many deals and I bet you more than half of those deals, more than half of those startups didn't even check what the VC invested in and aren't even eligible. Right. So a lot of times they just get thrown out. Yeah. They're like, Oh, like I probably, this, this probably isn't even in our wheelhouse. Right. But if they read my newsletter, they can clearly see like, Oh, this company checks the boxes. We want to talk to them. So it's making everybody's life easier at the end of the day, sort of. I see. What is the advantage of investing in um, companies that are similar for you, the VC? So, sorry, when I say, what I meant was like in industries, right? So like- Oh, yes. Yeah. So you don't, yeah, that's a good question. You Investors generally like usually don't invest in a company that would be a competitor for another one of their portfolio companies. Yeah. Um, but like, so that's why like, it's like, you'll have VCs who are like, we invest in FinTech. There's so many different umbrellas under FinTech. You have InsureTech, you know, you have access to finance, you have all of these different types of, of FinTech companies. So mm -hmm. there, it is possible to invest in a lot of companies as a VC that don't actually like compete yeah. with each other, yeah. you know, but that's another important thing to do too. Like another another part of this research when you're looking up a company, if you go on the VC's website and you see that they're an investor in your direct competition, they're probably not going to want to invest in you. But there might be reasons why. Maybe they already exited that company, and maybe it was a, it was a successful exit. So maybe you know they would. But it, there's so many different nuances. Um, but the advantage of investing in one specific industry maybe is a, is a better to reframe your question. Yes. Is that so many reasons like you as an let's say I'm a I'm a fintech investor. I spend all my time looking at companies in fintech 
talking to banks, understanding what are the needs of the banks or whoever the client would be for these fintech companies. So I'm, I'm becoming an expert in the industry. So it just, if you're a startup in that industry, having me as an investor is great for you because I have all of this insight to the industry, the competition that's out there and what your customers want. And let's say you're a fintech and like, I'm an investor, I could probably hook you up with like 10 different potential clients to do pilots with, you know what I mean? So it's like, a lot of VCs, and that's and as a VC, we also if you have a great company, you're we're also trying to convince you to like let us invest in you. So that's we true. have to have we have to be able to give you something of value. I mean, we're going to take a board seat, right? And sure, we have money, and like we can give you money, but like you should be looking at investors for more than just a check. You should be looking for investors who actually are going to add value to your company in some form or fashion, and they're going to want to add value because they want you to succeed so that they can get. You know, however many X's on on their initial investment. So yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Investors aren't just you know, they don't just write you a check. They actually invest in you. And as you mentioned before, they definitely coach you. They definitely help you um, pivot if you need to, and convince you like, hey, you know, things aren't working, or hey, let's try this. It's uh, and ask these questions too. Like it's yeah. like. When you're a startup, I understand that fundraising is hard and I understand that it might feel like you're trying to like convince people to like believe in you. If mm. you really believe in your in your company, like believe in it and be like, hey Sam, like I maybe you'd want to invest in my company and be like, be like, but what how can you help us? Like you also the investor is also selling you, especially if you have a hot deal that a lot a lot of investors want in on you should be selective. Like you're bringing this person, this investor on board and giving them decision-making power in the future of your company. Like it's yeah. not something you want to do willy nilly and the investors should be proving to you that they have an interest and they actually will make a difference aside from just writing you a check. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. It's kind of like bringing on a mentor too because they already have experience in your industry. They kind of know the pitfalls and um, they can definitely help in a lot more ways than just cash in the bank. Exactly. So it looks like we are running up on time, but I would like you to um, let people know where they can contact you and why they should contact you. Sure. Um, so I, I'm not really sure if you have any Latin American impact startups who are listening, um, but <laughs> if you do, I would love to, or if you have any sort of like interest in Latin America, like it'd be great, be great to connect uh, just kind of like on the, the fun side, on the who is raising side, you know, if you have a, if you're raising around um, and you want to basically get in touch with investors, um, sign up, sign up to be featured on our newsletter and make sure you put Vermilion as your, as your, um, as your reference. And if you need any sort of help with like pitch deck creation, like founder coaching, talking through what is, what's the due diligence process like with the fund, um, anything like that. We also have, you know, we also do consulting services as well. Um, so yeah, pretty much if you're looking to raise around, you've, if you've already raised a family and friends on, you're looking to raise, you know, a, a larger round, a seed round or, you know, pre-series A, reach out. I'd love to feature you. Our investors are always always love to kind of see what companies are coming through um, on the newsletter. And secondly, if you're looking for any sort of ad hoc uh, consulting services, I have an awesome 
like network of a few of a few folks in a space who are willing to help you at super affordable rates because we all, we all have day jobs. So, but we we just really are, want to help. Um, and yeah, those are pretty much the two big ones. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just just in general, let me know that you were listening and uh, maybe a little blurb about what you do, just so I can kind of keep keep in touch with folks and and to the future. So yeah, if you can send them, I don't know, if, is there a way you can put my oh, link email? <laughs> But I will definitely add the link to um, to everything so that everybody can uh, say hi. Perfect. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank I you so much for having you. me. Oh, this was fun. It's, it's a pleasure. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Take care.